0: Hello, folks. Welcome into Concordic Corner Presents Meet the Industry, a podcast where we go inside the architect, engineering, contractor, or building product manufacturer industries, or both, and interview someone or a group of people who work in a particular field, be it marketing, sales, product, or the executive level, or developers. And our goal here is really to take you behind the curtain and get to know someone at an in-depth level in terms of what they do, what the process is like, and hopefully we can all learn something from that if, uh, be it we work in that field, the same field as a person, or if we don't, it can help us appreciate uh, what someone does a little bit more than what we do today. And our guest today is Pat Jarvis. Pat has worked at a number of companies for the last 30 plus years as a salesperson, and our CEO, Kip Rapp, sat down with him to go through a ton of different things. It was a really cool interview. I did not really participate in this one, although I did help uh, on the production side of things. But in terms of the interview, Kip really got into it with with Pat in terms of really breaking down the number of different ways you can interface with clients, how he works with his fellow salesperson, how he builds a sales team as a sales leader. These aren't just surface answers. These are in-depth personal answers that are honest from a guy who's been successful at this for a long time. As someone who works in product specifically, I don't really get an inside look at what our salespeople do. You know, you, you see sales numbers, you talk to salespeople when they have a question about how something works or when they want to know when something's coming out so they can get out there and sell it for you. But, you know, you don't get a lot. I don't get a lot of time really to talk with the salespeople on a personal level because I'm siloed off working with product and development. on trying to get features out for the salespeople to go to go sell. And I'm not really thinking about what they're doing in order to be successful, in order to make the company successful. So, this is a great opportunity for me to learn a lot from Pat in terms of what a salesperson really does. So, without further ado, I think let's get into this interview. Hope you enjoy it Pat's awesome, super sharp, smart guy, very successful. You're going to like this a lot, and we'll check in with you' all after the interview
1: Great, hey, Pat. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh we appreciate your time today and um really looking forward to listening a lot more about your background experience. It was really fun talking to you over the last few weeks. And from here, what it would be great to talk about your background and experience. I know last time we talked, that you had a very impressive background over the last 20, 30 years. So uh, we can start from there.
2: All right, well, great. Thanks, Kip. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate giving me an opportunity to come here and, and, and be on your podcast. So I guess a little bit about me, um, I get married, three kids, one still in college, my wife and I became empty nesters here just recently, um, but professional-wise, I'm a salesman, always been in sales, came out of school um, in sales, my first job was 100% commission sales, as we used to say, you you um, you eat what you kill. Highly recommend anyone that wants to get into sales, their first job should be a 100 commission job, 100% commission job. You find out whether you can do it, whether you like it. Um, it was great for me. And then I really cut my teeth professionally after that. I went to work for Kohler. So I was there about 13 years. Um, phenomenal company. And, again, that's kind of my entry into the building materials or plumbing world. And from various positions, from I came in as a sales rep to I managed, for a while, I managed Kohler's largest account, Ferguson. I actually moved um, to their uh, where they're located, Newport News, and actually had an office in their building. That was interesting. And a few managerial positions. After that, I moved on to uh, Dornbrock. Dornbrock is a luxury German faucet company, um, super high-end, very contemporary. And I ran the, um, the the sales division and then added marketing on for the entire uh, North American, uh, actually uh, North and Central American um division for them and that was phenomenal i learned a ton learned a lot about the world too because you know dealing with a, a german company we're a worldwide world german base but we are worldwide so spent a lot of time in germany dealing with my counterparts learned a lot about how americans differ from the rest of the world and these last couple positions i've had uh, same type of thing I've, I've run Salesforce as i was with them um, hydrosystems which is a tub company based out of um california uh for about a year and then this my my, my most recent job was i was um vp of business development for a a company here locally in atlanta called mti bass they make tubs sinks shower bases ancillary things and that position was kind of unique i ran the project side of the business but also i was in charge of developing new business business for things outside we're being a manufacturer things Mm -hmm. outside the plumbing world you know we got into picture frames and when you know covid hit we started making acrylic shields and things like that so You you know, my background's always been in sales, you know, with the marketing piece on it.
1: And, well, Kohler, they're customer buyers and really respect their brand and their products. And was all that in, I guess, throughout your career been in commercial and residential sales or mostly commercial?
2: No, commercial and residential. I've had a little bit of both. I mean, Kohler certainly was both. um, um, And on on the, you know, after Kohler... Um Dornbrock, we certainly had a good bit of commercial, but that was luxury commercial. When I say luxury mm-hmm. commercial, we're talking you know higher end hotels, you know, high-end condos and things like that. Um and then you know, at MTI Bass we did both commercial and residential. I was more more in charge of the commercial side on the projects division though.
1: Yeah, well that's that's great. Yeah, I know I, I've been talking to a lot of uh sales leaders and owners and and I think for our listeners be really interested it comes up quite a bit with our conversations is like how do you have a really good sales team and selling commercially i have talked to people that sell residentially and it's it's different right because residential you can go to home depot and you have big big box stores and it's not the same and it's, sometimes i consider it's like selling b to c versus b to b and so yeah I, i'd love to hear your experience and you know the question is well, what do you do you, with your sales leadership how do you find and what do you look for in building a good team
2: sure well and, and often what I've found is you, you know unfortunately depending on the side of the company often you have sales that are selling both you know you have them both selling residential and commercial and they're, they're very different sales and certainly a, a good salespeople can do both but many I should say most cannot do both well kind of a you know jack of all trades master of none concept but commercial wise i'll start with this i guess any sales wise the very first thing i look for number one is attitude there's a lot of things that i can teach i can teach you product skills i can teach you sales skills i can teach you closing but i can't teach you attitude and that 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 comes through very quickly um and so to me that's one of the number one skills that that i look for and again i don't call it a skill a, a characteristic i guess um but then as we get into things that I look for, when I'm looking to build a sales team is first and foremost on the commercial side, the process is much longer. A sale can take from six months to two or three years. And so when you're looking for salespeople, they need to understand that it's not an instant gratification, you know, and residential tends to be much more, you, let's say you go into a showroom, you go into Home Depot and you make a presentation, and they give you a big order and you're good to go. Well, the commercial, the commercial side of the business, there's a lot of people in the chain. Takes a, it's a long process. And so if you're an instant gratification kind of guy, um, girl, you won't do well in that. So that's, that's a key thing. And then kind of related to that is like with any sales, but particularly with something that takes a while is a relationship building. Being able to build um, strong relationships. And often those, those are based, you know, they're always based on trust. And so being able to build trust I think is a key component, particularly when you're looking at a long sales cycle because it's not a one and done kind of thing. And then again, depending, depending on the um, the type of business that you're in, depending on who you're selling. For instance, I did a lot of a lot of business where we we're selling to architects and designers. That's a very different, even though they weren't the the deci- or they weren't the buyer, they were the decision maker. And so having salespeople that know how to interact with the trade, and again, architects and designers are different than builders and plumbers, which are different than engineers. So being able to specifically know. Who you're going after and what kind of trade that is, Um, and they can talk to those people, I think, is vital. And then finally, I always look at the market that I'm hiring for. For instance, when I worked at Dornbrock, I had some great salespeople. Some of them were really good, you know, follow-up. You know, they weren't great cold calling, but they were, you know, super trustworthy. You know, so for a mature market, it's a very different salesperson. For instance, if I'm hiring for New York for, for, um, you know, where we have a very mature market versus maybe I'm hiring for – Cleveland, Ohio, where we don't have any business, I need someone that, you know, knows how to understands, can 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 hear no over and over and over again, and keep going, and keep pounding the pavement, so understanding your, your market where you're, you, you know, where you're hiring to, I think is vital for, you know, for building a sales force. Sure,
1: yeah, so you mentioned quite a few great things there with, uh, well, one attitude, uh, and it appears all these type of different characteristics around their personality from being able to build a relationship, and as you mentioned, new markets versus uh, mature markets. It requires a different type of resilience, I would imagine, right? As you mentioned, with the rejection. But with attitude, and we've seen this with our company too, it's what I always thought is hiring good leaders and good folks, there's there's definitely common denominators, one is around maybe it's empathy or personality with um, being able to obviously communicate well and understand and listen. So from a, I guess from that kind of characteristic, are there common denominators, Def, independent if it's a new market or an old market? Or and then the second thing with a salesperson, do they have to be good at all the facets of the pipeline? Right, you, you mentioned cold calling versus closing business. So can we talk more about maybe the personality side? Are there common denominators? And then later we can talk about from a sales
2: practice. No, absolutely. I think just generally sales, again, doesn't matter what sales you're in, there are a lot of common denominators. Certainly to me, attitude is always the number one for for me. I say attitude. I mean, you have bad attitude. I'm thinking (laughs) positive attitude. And the reason that is because people want to be around people that are positive. They bring you up. They make you feel good. When, when I still do this to a lesser extent now, but when I was younger, um, you know, I'd I went through a class that taught me before you make a big sales call, surround yourself, be around some positive people. They really bring you up, and make sure you're not around negative people because they really bring you down. You don't realize how that is. For instance, you know, when I was younger, I quit watching the news because the news was negative. It, it brings you down. It's very negative. So that trait there, I think, is you know, is vital. You, you mentioned a couple other ones empathy versus sympathy you know it's funny cuz my family's always saying dad you're, you're, you're <laughs> not empathetic you know and that's something i've always struggled with cuz you know it's very different being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes and i think that's a that's a that's a key trait also which is that 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 goes to uh i'm mean, i'm sure it's kind of an old cliche but that goes to kind of a win-win scenario which is it's not if you get a better deal you win and they lose it's like if you get the sale, you win and they get, you fill their need and they win. And so to me, those are a couple skills that absolutely, and again, that, that cuts across, be it commercial, residential, or you know, whether you're selling software, you know, a hard product or service, whatever it may be. So a- absolutely, I think there are a number of, of those skills. Um, but some skills, you, you know, like patience, I mentioned the long sales cycle patience is a very key one again because one that took me a while to learn is not everyone particularly salespeople you know they're a kind of go out get it i want it done now and being able to have being able to learn patience and that is a learned skill absolutely because i know that's a skill that i've learned so i think that is something certainly if somebody comes in with it that helps but there's a there's a there's a fine line between patience and not being, you know, you, you know, not being active. You know, you got to be careful with that. You can be patient, you know. I, I want someone that's kind of with the attitude: if it ain't broke, break it. But I also want someone with patience, and so there's a there's a fine line be, between those. But certainly, that is a skill set on the commercial side that you need for sure.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I I think with the patience because we struggle with that too. Is like it's really hard to hire good people and it they might have been successful at other companies and it's a combination of if it's transactional selling or complex selling what they're selling a lot of domain knowledge we we've realized that the they have to trust you to buy from you in a lot of cases and in order to trust you there's a relationship side to it and there's and expertise. They say, Oh, do you know my business? Right. And from there, you have a chance to build uh, a relationship where you can ask and influence in that case, is an offer of value. Uh, so I, I do understand that in the patience versus aggressiveness, right? And the, they have to be assertive, but they can't be aggressive, right? So so that's how I've kind of thought about that, is that there are these transcendent skills for selling, uh, no matter where you are. Maybe in transactional environments or if you're order taking you can probably be a little light on some of those uh characteristics but if you get into a fairly competitive environment i would say where you have to go after the sales then i I would venture to guess that you would have to be pretty good at most of these things
2: absolutely and you bring up that the key word trust you know we throw that word around a lot trust you know how do you build trust and and, you know, one of the things, one of the best ways that I've found is, particularly in the cycle of the commercial sales, not only is it a long cycle, but once you get the order, the, the work just starts. I mean, you know, there's a lot of work to get the order, but once you get the order, I mean, that's, that you're, you're, you're not even 50% there. Then you ship it and it gets installed. And this brings up this point of trust is, to me, trust is built often through problems. Um, because you're going to have problems, maybe not on every job, but there are going to be problems. So trust is built in how you solve the problems, how quickly you solve the problems, how thoroughly you solve the problems. Because when you're dealing with customers that you deal with frequently, you know, this isn't a one and done kind of sale. They they know, hey, we're going to have a problem. And the trust is built when they have a problem and you solve their problem, and you solve it quickly. And they know next time I have a problem, that guy's there for me. I know, you know, when we have this problem, he's going to jump on it. He's going to go to the job site. He's going to work with the plumber. He's going to, follow back up with the design, whatever it may be. And to me, that's a huge part of building trust. It kind of goes back to often, every now and again, when your customer says, you know what, I'm going to go see how your competition does. And if the competition does a crappy job. Sometimes that's good because they come back to you and they go, wow, I didn't realize how, how much I appreciated all that you do and how good you were and how much I trust you. You know, so it's not always bad when, when your customer spends a little bit of time with your competition, assuming they don't do it better than you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That
2: makes sense.
1: Yeah, so the second part of that is, uh, again, back to where we have salespeople and we're not, our product is not transactional. It's a, generally a complex type of uh, selling process where you really have to understand the pain and the value and what you're trying to do with the customer in, in, in their business. And uh, But we realize, too, because we're a little different where it's an entrepreneurial type of selling and it requires then a salesperson has multiple facets where they can prospect they can close deals they have that balance between assertiveness and patience and uh, they have a discernment and a listening and an empathy style right that's uh, very compelling so I, I was wondering in your environment is that similar or can you uh, based on the territory and what you're selling can you overweight in certain areas of uh, sales talent and compensated with uh, maybe sales engineers of some sort, or how does that work?
2: Yeah, no, again, I, I, the, the, the short answer to that question is absolutely yes. Um, you know, it, it's funny you kind of bring up those things because I always say the very best salespeople are the most difficult to manage. You know, mm-hmm. they're the ones, be, be, because they, they push the boundaries on everything. Um, but let's say, we, you know, we go back to example, you know, we have a mature market who I need there um, is very different than, say, who I need in a brand-new market. And their skill sets are a bit different, too. Their philosophies are different. You know, maybe their their level of patience are different. You know, their action-oriented amount is different. Their kind of if it ain't broke, don't break it, or if it ain't broke, break it kind of philosophy is a little bit different. Um, so, again, I kind of go back to, yeah, it is, you look at all their skills from the attitude never changes to me. Positive attitude never changes but from the empathetic skills to, you know, being able to hear no, having that resiliency, like, for instance, in a new market, you know, salespeople have to learn to hear no. And, and to me, I used to always say to my salespeople, no doesn't mean no. It just means not <laughs> now, try again soon. Okay. But, but you, you can take that to the extreme, right? And so in newer markets, I need people that have more of that attitude, which is no just means, okay, I need to try again, you know. I need to try again I've only got three nos I haven't failed enough today I need to I need to fail a little bit more I need to get four or five nos because that means my pipeline's getting bigger so um, yeah. I, I think those skills are definitely different in, in different markets but they all you know they, they all have some of those same similar um, type of skill sets um, the, the one skill set that i I personally I don't think is is that important is that you understand the product when I hire you you know, that is something that can be taught. Now, being able to take a product and being able to sell, not the feature, but the benefit, that is that that is something that is key across the board. I mean, too many people spend too much time, well, this product does this, this, and this. Good salespeople, great salespeople know how to, that goes back to your empathy that you mentioned earlier, that let me put myself in their shoes and what is the problem they have and what can my product do, service, product, whatever it may be, what can it do to solve their problem? Sure. And,
1: again, in our business, uh, having a methodology and training around sales is important where – and I I don't necessarily say it's the actual methodology that you have to prescribe to, but it it brings you into this sales type of process where you understand the stages of a sale, right, from the early relationship to finding the pain and the problem and aligning to – their need and sense of urgency and importance than having these type of next steps and you know some people have i know there's like the sandler methodology there's a Bant there's medic is is that also important for your sales team that that they have some kind of selling methodology
2: yeah absolutely again i'm not either there's a lot of them out there i mean it's funny the one i learned with the abcs of closing always be closing i'm not a proponent of that you know if you're selling you know one and done type of things maybe that's it um, but for for sure, and again, depending on the the, um, the the company that you're with and the and the product that you're selling, a good company is going to have kind of a training program that says, okay, you know, here here are the products we have. Here's kind of the methodology that we follow. I, I think that is vitally important. And it does. It gets tweaked again back to kind of the markets that you're looking at. Is it a mature market? Is it is it a new market? Is a, you know you have a little bit of both? Is it a is it a designer oriented market? Is it a plumber oriented market? So those things do get tweaked along the way, but having certainly a good sales methodology I, I think is important.
1: So here's a, a, a I think another thing I've uh, kind of heard through my discussions with sales leaders and CEOs of, okay, now you have a salesperson and really looking for your opinion here, Pat, on how they develop their territory. Let, let's say it is a new market because we run into a lot of small businesses and they want to grow. One, they want to just grow commercial sales because they've been uh, localized, right? And they know that uh, they can either branch out into new territories or it could be a marketing strategy that they're missing. But now let's say uh, they really want to build out a new territory and they're going after, I'd say for the most part, we, we have two people, two camps of people. They're going after architects, up front in the early designer, they're going after GCs. So maybe we can pick one of those. But what's your? How would you go after that? like if you were having a team and you're building out a new territory? And let's say you need to get with architects, for example. That's probably the most common use case is getting spec early and holding the spec. Right. Yeah. So be really interested in knowing your
2: thoughts on that. Well, well, first and foremost, I mean, sales is a numbers game. You know, the more you have in the pipeline, the more you close. I mean, that tends to be it. But you got to do that smartly, not a you know, not a shot you know, shotgun approach. And and by that I mean, like if I'm working with a a person in a new market like that, the first thing I say is let's let's find a target list of people that we want to go after. You know, we create that target list, and you can't just say it's all you know, it's all architects or all designers. I mean, there's. <laughs> There's a ton of architects and designers in the United States. So, I mean, you're just endless. And so you figure out, well, okay, let's say we're going after commercial architects. Okay, commercial architects that are working on hotel projects, for instance. So we've narrowed that down, and then we create that list. That's first and foremost. And then it's a start reaching out to them. And I'm maybe I'm a little bit more old school, but I'm much more, I, you know, I, I'm not a big proponent of the kind of just fire off emails to everybody because everybody nowadays i mean geez by nine o'clock everybody's got 300 emails right i mean pick up the phone you know try and set up an appointment but have a reason hey you know i want to talk to you about the service we have i want to talk to you about this product that we have you know stop by i mean it needs to be logical again you know related to that this kind of goes back a little bit to cold calling and, and i still do this you know i still do this with, with young people or i shouldn't say young but with new sales people and i it's funny. I think about this. Last year, I was in Arizona with one of one of our seasoned salespeople, and they hadn't done cold calls in years. I'm like, we're going to spend an entire day doing cold calls. So we made our list, and this was this was a, a salesperson, a woman, and she was close to my age, so she wasn't young. And but we, we decided what we were going to do, who we were going to call on, and what we were going to say. And I would say we made eight cold calls. We got in the door four times, and a couple of those, uh, three of the four times, were ended up being 45 minute appointments. So if if you have something to sell. And you you have a a a, um, a plan in place, you, you know I think that that is key. And so I'm again, uh, just firing off emails, waiting for people to call and say, oh yeah, great, I want to see you. Just you know nowadays in our technological age, I think that's just too easy of a cop out. And as a as a manager of salespeople, helping them down that road I think is important. I just don't say make a target, let's go at it, and let me know how you do at the end of the week. You know it's. It's, you know, somebody somebody once told me this uh, concept of trust and verify. I, I, I like that, that, that term, which is, I give you a little bit of rope, you know, but I don't want to let you hang yourself. You know, I give you a say, hey, you're We want you, you want to go to, you know, by the end of the day, you want to be D, but I want to check along the way. How you doing? Do you need help? You know, and, and, you know like again, going back to this example of the cold calls, and we did these cold calls, we took turns. I do one, you critique me on it, even though you work for me. You do one, I critique you on it. What could have you said better? What, you know, you're annoying. They wouldn't let you in the door. Those kind of things. So, and, um, and you know, it's different on different different types of uh, of, of um, clientele. For instance, architects and designers typically there's a gatekeeper. You you just can't pop in. You know, for instance, a, a distributor showroom or a plumber. It's a little easier to get in to see them. Architects and designers, you, you, you know, it's harder to get in. You typically have a gatekeeper. Getting past the gatekeeper, you know, there are skill sets to that. Oh, I want to check on your library, you know, those type of things. you got to be aggressive but not obnoxious, you know, those type of things. So, for sure, there, there there's definitely some skills to doing that.
1: And, and I really appreciate that. There's a lot of, um, it sounds like in your process, uh, side-by-side type of practice and coaching and review and kind of that player coach
2: mentality it appears the one thing that i learned is you know when you become a manager they don't give you a pill that says well i'm smarter than you and i'm better than you because i know how this pill i mean I've, I've managed many a salesperson that was way better presenter than me or way better at cold calls you know so we're kind of we're teaching each other i mean i'm critiquing them but I also, you know, when I travel with salespeople, I often do do a presentation. I want them to critique me because mm-hmm. I'm always learning too. And it helps them also because they're looking at things from a little bit different perspective. So that kind of what we'll call it player coach to me is vitally important.
1: So that that's really cool. So just to go through that example, you're doing cold calls. You were able to get four appointments in your example out of uh, these uh, eight or so. So what happens next? So now you uh, are, are you visiting these folks? Is it another meeting? I know I'm not as familiar really with these firms, and I, I understand there's a gatekeeper, and eventually there's someone you gotta convince <laughs> the decision maker. So can you walk me through that?
2: Sure, I, I, absolutely. I mean, the bigger firms typically have a gatekeeper, um, but you know, a lot of the a lot of the smaller firms don't. A lot of times, you know, maybe it's a firm that's got four or five designers or architects, and stick your head in the door and you're talking to the owner, right? And, and I mean, the goal typically on a cold call isn't to give a presentation. Although sometimes I say, you know what? Wow, I'm I'm glad you're here. We're working on a project and we need a whatever, whatever. Can you show me what you got? You need to be prepared for that. I mean, you got to be prepared. Okay, great. And you you give that presentation. Typically the goal is to kind of, for me, a goal, it's almost – you know, like a resume is to an interview. Is the goal is to tell them enough about you where they have some interest, and you set up a time where they give you your undivided attention. The challenge with a cold call is if you try and launch into a presentation after they let you in the door, and they're thinking, "I got five minutes for this." You know, five minutes isn't a lot of time for a presentation. You want to get them interested enough where they say, "Well, listen, can I set a time to come back where you can give me half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and kind of let you talk about?" It? And if you can, if you can leave that cold call with some info. Maybe a project they're working on, things they're frustrated with. You know, one of the things you know, so that one of the things that, that that I run into all the time is, you know, we're placing, we're pulling out tubs and we're putting in showers, but the drain's always offset, and plumbers hate it. And you think, great, you know, I got a solution for that. You 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 come back in the next time when you give a presentation, you or you you're helping them on work on a spec, you have that you have that problem solved. That's often what it is, and I would say more often than not, when you get in the door, that's typically what it is. I mean rarely do you get although it happens you you get where they say yeah no no, sit down tell me all about your company i mean every now and again that happens
1: sure so as as you mentioned with these in your example the four appointments sometimes there may be a problem and it appears that when you're talking to these folks uh, these architects that they're interested in for you to come in for whatever reason um is it mainly to educate and understand your product not necessarily having a problem in mind or is does it help as you mentioned to have a problem or what what is the normal kind of common scenario that happens because obviously you're on the phone call with them and you you tell them about your company and your products and and then they let you in the door and then you are set up for i guess a 30 or 60 minute uh presentation after that
2: yeah i would say typically and again this kind of goes back to because the commercial sale is a long sales cycle Typically you're educating them right? because I mean you're typically not going in often they don't have a project in mind that you're going in and you're solving that need for that particular project. You're educating them and you're telling them about your line and some of the key things that your products solutions that your problems product, your products can solve. And then down the line they say, oh yeah, no, I saw that. Uh, you know, that M T I, that 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 Dornbrock, that Kohler, and they have this. Let me let me follow back up with Pat again on that. So that that's more typical when you're doing that. But there are again these architects and designers. They're, they're always working on specs and they're always looking for things. And so you come in. Often they're in a situation where they're looking for that tub or that faucet, or they have this problem. They need to move this wall or. You, you, you know, the, the the shower bases, they can't find one that fits or they want to customize and they can't find something like that. That comes up more often than you would think. And being prepared to solve that problem, the, the, the thing that I, I said about that first cold call, which is if you can figure out what that is before you leave, when you come back for the presentation, you can tailor your presentation to solve that, you know, to create that solution for them. Typically, you got to be prepared for the kind of the general, you, you, you know, overview and again it's not just a let me just throw up all the information about my company because i mean i think that's another challenge that sells people we want to talk 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 and we just throw information out at you before you even know well you know what do you need i mean if we can find out what you need then we can tailor the presentation and talk about two or three key things so you walk away going you remember not he gave he showed me 37 products and i can't remember any of them and that's that's the typical salesperson I would say. We as salespeople do that way too much.
1: Yeah, so I'm just trying to live in these architect shoes. So if you're, you're coming in, are they mainly – is this a kind of a characteristic where they're just open for manufacturers to come in and just educate them a little about products and for the future of maybe on these uh, projects they do later and giving them more options or – I assume they're open to using different manufacturer's products. And my guess is they've been using their own manufacturer's products for the last few years, right? So what's kind of the mindset of that architect then? Uh, Is it because they're just open to being educated or they're looking for new products to use in the future or new designs that they want to do in the future?
2: I mean, it's a a little bit of everything. One of the things that architects and designers is because the market is changing, and the, 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 the products are changing so dramatically. I mean, just think of where, just take the electronic product, the electronics in the bathroom in the last five years. I mean, that has changed dramatically. So they understand that, you know, what they what they were using last year could be outdated for what's available this year. So that educational aspect of it, absolutely. Most of them, most of the good ones understand that and they want people to come in and educate them. I think that the biggest challenge is is like, like I mentioned before, they have too many salespeople come in and just throw up information on them and they get overloaded, you know? So they, they want to hear what's new, what's latest, what can help solve my problems. So I, I think that that's the kind of the biggest thing that they want when you come in. But there are, and, and again, this is where the relationship building comes in because once you do that and you start to build this relationship, then when they have a problem, hey, I'm working on this project and we have this problem, they pick up the phone and call you and say, Pat, listen, I'm working on this project and this is the problem we have. Do you guys have a product that can help me solve you know, create a solution for this? That's, I mean, that's, that's Valhalla. That's, that's where you want to be with architects and designers because if they're calling you to help you. They're telling you what the problem is. They're reaching out to you because you built that relationship with them. So that's where you want to be, you know, ultimately. Sure.
1: Yeah, and I, I do hear things around AIA and continuing education credit. So is that, needed for what you're doing or does it help
2: or any thoughts on that yeah absolutely i mean you know, we do a lot of ceus continuing education um credits and you know well, number one they have to have those so but the, the 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 best thing about that for a salesperson is that gets your foot in the door right hey yeah we have a ceu on thermostat valves for instance and so that gets your foot in the door and, and again that ceu isn't you know, when you give that presentation, it's not brand-based, meaning you can't be about your brand, but, I mean, you're using your products in it, right? And you're educating them, but they'll see things in there as you use your products. And usually when you get to the end, they're like, oh, I, I didn't know you guys had this or you can do this. So, I mean, those are vital just generally, you know, to help the the, the, the design community, the architect design community understand whatever you're talking about. It's, it's a great foot-in-the-door um, for a salesperson, a manufacturer salesperson to get in there and educate the, the architect designer.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like get your foot in the door. So it's cold calling. It could be the continual education. Once you're in there, it's about your attitude and your personality and the relationship. You're educating them on your products, and you're trying to find a problem to solve. And what it sounds like is that if you they – trust you and they have more than a name and they see you as a real person they understand your products and you're you're also maybe picked up a problem or two that you may be able to help out in the future and then it also sounds like now that they remember you they may call you back in the future says oh pat was here we talked about a specific problem i have this other problem or the same problem i I may want to call pat up because i want to see if uh,
2: if we're able to uh, resolve this I should write that down. That sounds like a sales philosophy. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, you, you, you've, you've kind of gathered. I mean, that's the ideal way it should work, right, from from start to finish, you know, getting in and, and doing all those things. I mean, I, I wish everyone worked that way. It's all always, I would say, 95% of the time it's it's parts and pieces of that, right? Um, and, and again, I, I, the, to me, the, the other part of that is just the general follow-up, meaning – you, you know, you, you've done all of that. Everything's perfect, right? And you haven't talked to this designer or this architect in six months. You follow up and say, hey, listen, we got a couple new things out that I think might be fit for you. No, and I know you guys work on, you, you do luxury hotels. we got a couple new products I think would be ideal. Do, do you have 20 minutes for me to come back in and kind of update you? I think too often salespeople get too comfortable, and they just assume you know everything there is to know about us because we see you and so forth. We see you at shows and whatever but but that's not the case and they need to continually be updated because the, the market is changing so the products are changing there they're advancing so quickly nowadays I mean what was a trend what was a style a year and a half ago could completely be out the window and completely have changed you know in that short period of time it's like I mean it used to a trend used to take 10 years to you know it was in for 10 years and and now I mean a trend can pop up and it can go away in a matter of a couple of years I mean things that I remember back, you know, even a few years ago, you know, changing as colors change and, you know, finishes change and styles change, you know, it's, it's, so keeping them updated and educated, I think is is vitally important. Sure.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's a, a lot about being top of mind and memorable for that person that you want to do business with and, the follow up sound great because that keeps you top of mind and you're not selling, you're educating and you're informing and I think a lot of people need that. They, they don't want to be sold to, right? They want to be uh, informed. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. And that is, I mean, it is ultimately, it is selling because particularly with a long sales cycle, often you're given a presentation and you, you think you're educating, but six months down the road, all of a sudden they have a project and they're like, oh yeah, Pat came in and gave that presentation. They have a product that's perfect for this and you may never even know that you got that sale because you made that presentation and the designer ended up specifying the product and product went through the distributor and got bought and you weren't even in that cycle once it happened, but you started it because of the education that you gave. So you got that sale, but you didn't even know it. That happens a lot and that's why getting out and educating is, is vital because it creates those specs. It, it gets you that lead, it, it helps you become that lead spec on the specification. Mm-hmm. That's cool.
1: so. In that practice, you're doing the follow-up and you're building a business. So obviously, it's about performance at the end and and you have a a sales team that's doing this, right? And and now they're getting into the doors. So what is then the uh, general expectation then? Is it follow-up and then eventually out of a handful of these, they're going to be further down the relationship or the funnel as far as, oh yeah, now we have uh, some potential project work or I'm I got some interest on a, on a third meeting with this architectural firm. So could you walk us through that? Sure. Well, I mean, some of it is
2: exactly that, which is there are multiple meetings and you go down to a, a project and you continue down that road and you, you close that project. Bigger projects tend to be that way. But also, I'm amazed how often that, that I'll see a, a project come in that we, let's say, we had we don't think we had anything to do with. I'll find out who specified and it was specified by ABC Supply, and I'll think back, wow. Our salespeople, our salesperson did a presentation to them a year ago, and we know those two are linked. I can't link them, and I'm not going to spend hours calling them up going, hey, did you spec this because of this? But I know that is the case, and that that drives – that tends to drive um, you know more of the smaller projects. The bigger projects, let's say – like we did – like when I was with MTI, we did a lot of projects with Vegas. We did a lot of projects with Atlantic City, with Disney. And those projects just take an enormous amount of time, you know, because there's huge specs and there's 18 different people involved and you're, you're involved every step of the way. And, and those are great when you get those projects, but you can't live off those projects. That's that follow-up, that education, those things that that that, that the sales rep continually does. It doesn't even know... You can't always one-to-one say, I sold that project. But you the pipeline, it's amazing the ones that do that best, their sales tend to grow. Even if they can't one-to-one say, yes, this project came from this presentation to this architect there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like there's the blocking and tackling of the outreach, the education, the meetings. that kind of grows that base for these maybe specs that you don't know you're in. And then it's like with our business – you have a mix of wheels right and then you have a mix of other fish in the sea right and uh you will sustain from the consistent fishing and then you have these big wheels that you can go after so
2: is, is that a fair it, to me it goes back to the pipeline uh, you, you you know you the, the bigger your pipeline and and often you'll 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 work on a spec that you think is dead you know you you talk to somebody and you they said, "Yeah, we're looking for this, and you helped them spec it, and you followed up five or six times over six months, and you think it's dead, and all of a sudden, unbeknownst to you, an order comes in, and you're on it. You're like, you know, holy wow! I, I didn't, you know, that's it. That happens. I wish I had a dime for every time that happens. So, you know, that's filling up that pipeline and keeping that pipeline full, and and then being able to measure where where you are in that pipeline too. And you know, I never rule out a project until it's been ruled out, meaning." You found out it got spec something else. It got ordered. You know, it's never, you, you know, it's not dead. You know, projects lay dormant, you know, especially in markets like we're in now with the whole COVID craziness, you know, your funding won't happen. And all of a sudden, you know, they'll get an influx. And, you know, a year later it, it happens. So and some of them you're going to work a ton on and, and you're going to say, wow, it wasn't worth what I did to get it. And some of them you're going to make a presentation and all of a sudden, $100,000 job comes in is all you did was make an hour-long presentation to the design firm, but you told them exactly what they needed to hear.
1: Yeah, so I, this is really interesting because, I, again, I'm, I'm not as familiar in this industry, but let, let's say uh, it, it appears that if you are specced and you have that line of sight, then you want to try to keep the spec is my guess, right? And then there's others where you're not sure you're specced, but you actually are, beknownst to you. And then the other area i'm I'm interested in understanding is then you know that evidence because being spec doesn't mean you'll be purchased so from a sales compensation is that then a year or two down the road when you actually get purchased right by the
2: subcontractor of some sort right being the lead spec isn't the end-all be-all but boy it sure puts you in position a right i mean because what what happens is you know, often products are specced, they have a lock spec, which means the architect specs it and says, nobody can change the spec, right? But more often than not, things get specced to, it's, there's a spec and they get an or equal, which means down the road, the distributor can change it, the the, um, the plumber can change it, people can change the spec depending on who gets involved. Um, the, and, and, and that does happen. But still, if you're the lead spec, often it doesn't get changed. The distributor's like, I sell that that's fine with me I make the same off of proc a as I do product B and they wanted proc a so I'll stay with proc a so you always want to try and be the lead spec obviously if you're not the lead spec you always try and change the spec right you find out you want to find out what the spec is and you go to the distributor and say well uh, you, you, you know you want you want to put me it's an or equal you want to put me in the spec because you know I'll make you some more money or you know if there's a problem you know my kind of follow-up those type of things so you, you know the, the specification project processes is vitally important and on the big projects there's a lot of people involved in the spec I mean an owner hires an architect designer they create the spec the owner may some owners are like no I want to be involved some owners are like I hired you you're a professional I trust you you know, the GCs can get involved, you know, a plumbers, or, plumbers or, or mechanicals are a good example, often in, in a commercial spec, depending on the, the type of commercial spec, but I'm talking maybe more luxury, which I've been more involved with. The plumber's typically not the one driving the spec, but they can kill the spec pretty quick. You know, if you get your product spec, the plumber says, oh, my God, I used that product on my last job, and they were horrible, you, you know I mean? you know they're not driving the spec but they just killed you on the spec so you know making sure you have that relationship with the plumbers and not just a relationship but but that trust you know that 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 trust that you've built up with them that they know you they know your product they know the follow-up those type of things those are important particularly on the, on the large projects also finding out all the people that are involved in the chain i remember you and i had talked about this you know i mean it can be an owner an architect a designer a general contractor you know, then you can have a you know, then you can have a, a, a mechanical contractor. Then you have the distributor. I mean, all those people depending on the project have influence. Um, again, that's on a bigger project, but there's a lot of people in that chain that can influence that. You know, good or bad. Not all of them can say I can pick the spec, but many of them, if not most of them, can kill a spec.
1: Sure. So is it is a is it up to the rep to then uh, make sure that once they have line of sight to the spec? to keep the spec and hold the spec until it gets purchased? Is
2: that part of the responsibility? To me, that is a key role that the sales rep plays, which is once you become the lead spec, okay, that's fantastic, but you gotta hold that spec all the way through till the distributor orders it, right? And there's a lot of people, again, depending on the size of the project, a lot of people that can, that can change that spec, that can kill that spec, and so making sure if you can find out all the people in the chain and at least have a relationship with them or meet them, they know who you are, they understand your product, because, you know, often you're dealing with people that, when as a spec moves down the line, um, somebody gets involved that says, well, you know, I've always used, you know, for instance, at MTI, we, we, let's say we become the lead spec, and then all of a sudden it rolls down to the, to you know, to the mechanical contractor, and he says, well, geez, I, I've always used Kohler. I'm more comfortable with Kohler. I, I, I really prefer that you use Kohler, and, you know, depending on how, you, you know, How hard that how how locked that spec is the the architect may say okay I'm fine with if you're you're the one installing it again often there's a lot of people in that chain
1: so it sounds like you if you have line of sight to the spec and then once you have line of sight that you are in a spec then it's it's up to the salesperson to try to keep that all the way through the purchase and then I'm guessing also if there's other specs that you're not in and then you have these relationships with distributors and engineers then. You can go after them to try to educate them to get you the preferred purchase, I, I would
2: imagine. To me, this kind of goes back to the whole, we're talking about the spec process, and you see how unbelievably complicated this is, right? I mean, particularly on a bigger job, there's a lot to it. And as I said, I mean, you're once, okay, let's say you hold the spec all the way through the distributor, and the distributor orders it. Okay, wow, your job's just starting now. You know, you're, you're, you're really, in, oftentimes, you're not even 50% there. And this kind of goes back to what we started at the very beginning with the patients and, and seeing things through because sales, so many salespeople, they want to, you know, they, they want to you know, fly in, make the sale, fly out, move on to the next. And this, these is, this is not that way. And again, one of the great things is if you drive that spec all the way through, you hold it all the way through, you get the order, you know, the order comes in, it ships. You know, you have a couple problems, whatever, you fix those. It gets installed. Maybe you had to train the plumbers on site. You do all of that and everything's golden. Well boy, that sure helps the next time the nether large job comes in. All those people that were involved online in said, I know Pat and and I know he, he you know, he solved these couple problems and we're already the leech back and the plumbers like I'm already in and it, it helps so much on that recurring business, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah. Well that that's interesting. I never really thought about it that way because you are um, not only drumming up business and doing the cool calls and doing the education and all the um, foot traffic that you have to do there, but once you're in spec uh that's kind of the middle part, and you got to get purchased that's still not even the end part right where you then have to be take ownership of the installation and like maybe use right
2: you know we want to train say that the plumber's on site well. The sales guy might not be the guy to do that, right? You want to bring in one of your tech guys to, you know, talk like a plumber talks, right? I mean, like for, for me, I'm I'm we call average technical. So I can, I can conversate about the product. But when the plumber starts talking about detail, you know, my first thing I do is say, you know what, I don't know about that. I need to bring in a professional because that's not, that's not my skill set. So it's yeah. not so much you're always doing all of it, but you're for, you're for sure coordinating. And again, you, like I said, you have jobs where, you did a presentation, and it got purchased, and it got bought. Everything's good, and that's all you did. You, you yeah. know, so there's a little bit of everything in there. So,
1: well, that's great, Pat. I, I really appreciate the time here. It's been fascinating and very educational for me, and and I, I would think that our audience would love this. It, it does come up quite a bit where I run into all maturities of sales frameworks across these companies and marketing frameworks. So I I, I do. I think your input's going to be invaluable for a lot of
2: our listeners and well hey, you know what? I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate um again I'm a sales guy right so I like to talk um <laughs> but I really appreciate you 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 giving me the chance to come on the podcast and just kind of talk to you about you, you know how the process works and you, you know sales and particularly in the commercial side of the the the, the, the plumbing industry it's it's, it's been it's it's been a delight it really has i've really enjoyed this and again i'm happy to come back anytime you need me so you know just let me know
1: yeah no it's been great pat and even with the plumbing i see a lot of overlap across the other trades and your insights to how to build a team what's important from a attitude and a skill set to the actual selling framework of selling into new markets, because I, I know that's a struggle for a lot of our companies, I really appreciate that. And that, that basic block and tackling you mentioned about having either the cold calls or emails, but doing that is the bread and butter of, of a great salesperson along to what you said throughout that sales cycle of being involved, having a relationship, being a problem solver, getting the spec, holding the spec, and making sure that your products are then installed and delivered and, and, and as you mentioned it, it may not happen for all the small projects but that's definitely sounds like a good rubric that people can follow especially for bigger projects so we we absolutely appreciate your time i know you're a busy guy would welcome you again back we can talk about other parts of selling and uh i think with this uh for our audience members uh this is Concora, and uh, you know we uh, help uh, building product manufacturers uh, across the design community of selling uh, their products on their website, getting specified more, and we offer these web uh, podcasts sorry, <laughs> so that uh, we can educate our audience on what's really important and it's, it's important to us it's it's really about helping our manufacturers sell more products through better sales and marketing and, and hopefully using our platform in the future so. Uh, Thank you again for your time, Pat, and really appreciate it.
2: Thanks a lot. Have a great
1: weekend.
0: All right, folks, that wraps us up for today's show. So you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud by searching for The Concord Corner. And if you'd like to, we'd love a rating and a short review if you listen on Apple. Any feedback is appreciated on any of our shows that are coming out. And or just the show in general, or if you just want to say hello. Uh, you can find out more about Concora and our services at www.concora.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash LLC. We are on Twitter at Concora. And you can find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com company slash concora. Thank you for listening and have a great day.